Hello, and welcome to Quantum Conversations with Sarah Kleiner and Carrie Bennett. We are so excited about this new podcast. We are going to talk all about quantum health from more of the female viewpoint, but just the average person's viewpoint to make this information accessible so that you can start to implement it in your daily life. I'm going to be broadcasting this on my YouTube channel as well as my podcast for the first four episodes, but I really want to encourage you to go and follow us on the podcast app as well as the brand new YouTube channel where we're going to be posting these videos every single week. So the first four episodes, if you're seeing this introduction, make sure you head on over to the Quantum Conversations YouTube channel as well as the Quantum Conversations audio-only podcast so you can follow the new episodes after these first four are published on my channel, the Sarah Kleiner Wellness YouTube channel and the Evolving Wellness podcast. Those will be linked for you down in the show notes. I also want to let you know I'm posting in the show notes my free guides to building your perfect quantum day as well as Carrie's free guides. She's got some amazing guides and resources, my courses as well as Carrie's courses. If you want to dive deeper with any of this information, definitely get those free guides, mine and Carrie's and check out our courses as well. I hope that you enjoy this episode and have a fantastic day. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Quantum Conversations. And today we're going to talk all about easy water. And that's not the water that you're drinking, right, Carrie? <laughs> correct. Correct. There is potentially some easy in this water, but we're talking about the water that lives in our bodies. Yeah. And I feel like Carrie is probably one of the, I mean, I feel like she's one of the world's experts on this. Um, it, it's, I really do. You're the person I, how'd that happen? I don't know. <laughs> well, you've really done a good job of like looking at all of the different research, like Dr. Gerald Pollack and, you know, just some of these more esoteric studies about water and pulling it together in a way that I think the everyday person can understand. Um, but when we start talking about this topic, everyone, the first question that they ask is, okay, well, what do I drink? And I don't know, Carrie, how, how do you break that down for people when they have that question? I always say that the water we drink is way less important than the water we make. Yeah. Because I don't think people realize that our body, we're, we're basically all, all our cells are trying to do is produce water. And then we recycle that water that we produce. And it's a massive quantity of water, actually, that we're continually like transforming water into one substance back into water. It's like, it's, it's pretty amazing, actually, if you kind of, if you kind of look at it through the lens of my body is just really trying to always have appropriate water being produced. Um, and yeah, the water we drink matters some. Right. There are some, you, you can't just be dehydrated, right? Um, but it's way more important to tend to the water that is made inside of ourselves. And that has some really, really special properties. When it's done efficiently, it's a signal of mitochondrial health. And when it becomes this exclusion zone water, that's, it's a really cool thing to talk about in terms of what that can do for us. Exactly. So first of all, we have this whole thing of like our bodies are 70% water. That's it actually changes throughout our lifetime. We're we're more water, maybe like 80% when we're babies. And then as we get older, we have less and less and less water. But then there's this other thing that people say is that we're 99% water molecules. So what is it actually? And and how can we break that down to make it a little bit more understandable? Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's talking about two different things. It's but it's looking at uh water as a percentage of our total mass, if you will, versus water by molecular count. 
So by mass, yeah, we're about 70% water, right? Our tissues are full of water. Lots, we have more, more watery tissues such as muscle compared to body fat. There's less water. It's why you can do something like a, a bio impedance test for body fat. Cause you can see that uh, there's different water hydration status or different parts of the body. And you can kind of sort out the body tissues based on that. Um, but by molecular count, because water is such a tiny molecule, it's H2O, such a tiny molecule that if I were to line up in a row, all of the molecules in my body, 99 of them would be water. One of them would be something else. Let's say it would be a glucose, right? And so yeah. that's why we can say 99 out of every 100 molecules in the body is water because water is so small and it really basically, it surrounds every single molecule, every cell, every tissue, every protein that it really does make up the majority of, of who we are. Right. And in our body, like you said, it has the, it does make water, the mitochondria make water. And it's, you said it's kind of a, a recycling process, maybe for anyone listening and they're like, what the uh, heck does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, there, yeah, there's less, I'll, I'll talk about the recycling aspect of it in a little bit. Cause I actually see that with various, in, in, like the reason why the body produces inflammation actually, I think mm. is to produce water. <laughs> in yep. a given tissue. Um, but what the mitochondria do, and we, again, I think more and more people are getting really in tune with mitochondrial health, but mm -hmm. most of us go back to, oh, I heard about the mitochondria in the seventh grade. And I know it's the powerhouse of the cell because it makes energy. And then, you know, if someone takes it a step further, they say, oh, it makes ATP and ATP is the energy source, energy currency of the body. And if we make enough ATP, all is well. And if we make less ATP, that's bad. And what that fails to mention is that ATP is only one thing, product that the mitochondria produce. Another thing they make right before they make ATP at step five, they make water at step four. four. And so by step, I mean like there's these little, they're called proteins, proteins. right? And they're, they're called, it's called the electron transport chain. And so deep, very deep inside of the mitochondria, there's these, there, there's these fold, this folded membrane. And in the folded membrane are these proteins of the electron transport chain. And their whole entire job is to funnel electrons through different steps. And they're going to, the job then is at step four for those electrons to flow through, oxygen flows through, and oxygen combines with hydrogen to make water. So step four produces water inside of the mitochondria. That water doesn't necessarily just stay inside of the mitochondria. That water can move about throughout the cell. And uh, so that water inside of the mitochondria that's made in the mitochondria really becomes our intracellular source of hydration, our intracellular water status. So yes, some of the water we drink can eventually make its way into the cell, but the majority of the water inside of our cells is made in the mitochondria. And once it's made, it then becomes this exclusion zone water that Sarah and I are going to talk about. So moving things through the electron transport chain, that's basically like energy sources, right? Those electrons that go through. So that could be light, that could be grounding, that could be food. And basically we're, we're letting those things go through the electron transport chain. And then at the, the fourth protein is where water is made. Am I correct in that? Yeah, that's correct. You know, I think um, traditional medical textbooks or bio biology textbooks would say that we only get electrons from food, right? Um, right. Uh, but I do believe that because of what I know about how the water in our body behaves, we have to be able to funnel electrons from earthing 
mm-hmm. from piezoelectric movement. So from mm-hmm. the fact that our body makes electrons through movement, uh, through sunlight exposure as well, I think all of those can contribute to that electron flow through the mitochondria. Got it. So that's why we call it the electron transport chain, not the calorie transport chain, right? Or the carbohydrate transport chain or the fat transport chain or all the the, the macronutrient wars that we hear about a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because it all boils down to our body's ability to make this water. And when our mitochondria become inefficient, those respiratory proteins, what they spread further apart, it makes it harder for electrons to tunnel. So if we have inefficient mitochondria, then our body is not going to be able to make as much intracellular water or Mm -hmm. enough, right? And that's kind of where, oops, sorry, there's a big plane going overhead. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of where a lot of our internal cellular hydration issues begin to stem from, right? Is this inefficient energy production within the mitochondria? Yeah, you get this breakdown. It becomes a vicious cycle because electrons in in quantum physics, and don't be intimidated because none of us knew quantum physics up until, you know, we started studying this stuff, right? Right. So it's like, so... (laughs) Um, but in quantum physics, electrons only like to move so far. It's called mm-hmm. tunneling. Mm-hmm. And so it just so happens that the electron transport chain has its proteins spaced out in a very short distance so that electrons can efficiently tunnel from step to step to step and not get lost because a lost electron is going to interact with things like oxygen in the environment and create a reactive oxygen species or nitrogen and create a reactive nitrogen species that that's also known as inflammation or oxidative stress we call it different names um and so what happens is there are certain things that we do just in a modern lifestyle that causes those respiratory proteins to spread out farther and farther and farther and as they spread out we are more likely to lose electrons as we lose more electrons, we're going to create more reactive oxidative stress or damage, so more inflammation in the cell. We're also likely going to, those electrons are going to damage the mitochondrial membranes themselves, right, which can create further mitochondrial dysfunction. It can damage the DNA that the mitochondria have, because mitochondria have their own DNA that's outside of the DNA found in the nucleus, so that's going to create more issues as well. And so it's this vicious cycle because you're creating more and more damage that's causing more and more mitochondrial dysfunction and spread of these respiratory proteins, which ultimately leads to less electron tunneling. So we're making less water, less ATP, more damage, more damage. You can see how over a a course of period of time, depending on where it's happening in the body and to what extent, this can create a dysfunction in a given part of the body, a disease, if you will. Yep, exactly. And a lot of diseases really start with this loss of intracellular water, right? Yeah. You know, um, in one of the, the, one of my podcast interviews that I did when I was hosting my own podcast was uh, with Dr. Gerald Pollack, mm-hmm. who, for those of you who don't know, he is a researcher who really has popularized the topic of exclusion zone water, or we call it easy water. And my specific question to him was, well, what about a cancerous, like one of the most dysfunctional cells, in my opinion, is a cancer cell. What about cancer cells, Dr. Pollock? What what type of exclusions on water status do they have? And he's said that there's a, some really uh, uh, prominent evidence to show that cancer cells are very deficient in exclusions on water, which makes perfect sense because as, as, a, as a cell reverts to a cancerous metabolism, 
the mitochondria are no longer in charge of electron flow. You go, you go from what's called oxidative phosphorylation or electron flow to combine with oxygen in the mitochondria to make water to what's called glycolysis, which happens in the cytosol or the water of the cell. So you're, you're making way less exclusion zone water through that process. So hence why, uh, or making way less water through that process. So hence why a cancer cell is going to have way less exclusion zone water. It's going to become acidic. For all intents and purposes, exclusion zone water is an alkaline source of water. So yeah, you know, it's it, that's just one example, probably one of the most extreme cases of a of a disease in a tissue, and it's directly tied to mitochondrial dysfunction and a lack of exclusion zone water. Yes, exactly. So this is why Carrie and I kind of harp on this whole topic of easy water and really want you guys to understand it because yeah, once we start having this issue. It's not necessarily, you know, diet can definitely play a part in this, but I think we overemphasize nutrition. And so many of us kind of in this space have gotten to the point where we're like, yeah, that's a signal that we need to pay attention to. But if we're not paying attention to our water inside the body, then we're really missing the boat because a lot of health. I think it, it stems around water and our bodies. It's kind of a, it's, it has to do with the communication network of the body as well. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. I think this would be a great time to go into what the, what exclusions of water does for us, what yes. easy water does for us inside of the cell. And so to, to make that statement first is number one, you have to recognize that the cell is packed full of stuff. There's the nucleus, there's organelles like the mitochondria, the lysosomes, the ribosomes. There's this architecture inside the cell called the cytoskeleton. There's enzymes and proteins and other molecules inside of the cell. So the cell is very much a very densely packed space. And surrounding every single thing that I just mentioned, it are layers of exclusion zone water, the specific type of water. So nothing is really touching except through the water layers, except through these exclusions on water layers. And so when exclusions on exclusions on water will naturally form around any hydrophilic surface and hydrophilic is just a fancy way of saying water loving surface. So picture the difference between when you put water on like a Teflon or something where it's going to beat up. That's not the type of surface in our body. The biological surfaces inside of us are water loving. And when the water comes in contact with it, it actually forces these H2Os to reorganize themselves into hexagons, like picture honeycomb sheets of water molecules, where you have the biological surface, this hexagonally organized water, which Gerald Pollack called EZ water. And then you actually have a, a concentration of protons that form right next to that as well. Because in order for water as H2O to reorganize itself into these hex like hexagons that form like honeycomb sheets, it has to kick out a hydrogen. It has to kick out a proton because a hydrogen is a very simple atom that consists of a proton and an electron. And protons have way bigger mass than an electron. So that's a positively charged source right there. So when Dr. Pollock shows this, he shows a hydrophilic surface. He shows this exclusion zone lattice, this, this, this hexagonal lattice that's called easy water that he has measured to have a negative charge, which is key because water in a glass, if you were to ask, is it positively charged? Is it negatively charged or is it neutral? neutral? 
it would be neutral. Whereas the water inside of us next to all these biological surfaces is negatively charged. Then you have this lineup of positive charge, it's proton wire or proton zone is what it's being called, which actually we now know forms a battery. So this is the reason why you pick up a battery and you'll see it has a positive end, a plus side and a negative side. Because when you separate charges, when you separate electrons from an area of positive charge, you can allow flow. It could allow electrons to flow. And so that's what happens here. We actually now know, based on Dr. Pollock's research, that you can have potential energy. He's, he was able to put a tiny little electrode in the exclusion zone water that's negatively charged, a tiny little electrode, which picture like almost like little needles, if you will, that, that can measure voltage. He put a tiny little electrode in the positively charged zone and it was connected to a light bulb and it lit up a light bulb. So uh, that's a ton of energy that you can derive from water, water, right? Crazy. So we have now that we know that that's happening everywhere inside of our bodies, we can take this a step further. And we can say, okay, well, you know, Sarah, I've heard that the inside of my body needs to have a negative charge or cells do better when they're alkaline. Alkaline is just a measurement of the concentration of hydrogen, right? Yeah. Which is, which is more, which is acidic. So that, so if we, if we already said that uh, exclusion zone water is negatively charged, it's the presence of adequate amounts of exclusion zone water inside of the cell that dictate a healthy cellular pH or a healthy cellular voltage. And that as that changes, as we lose the voltage or it becomes more acidic, that is synonymous with a cell that's becoming more diseased and dysfunctional. And so as we understand exclusion zone water and its importance, it's easy to see how foundational this is for the health of the entire body. Exactly. Yeah. So how can people, improve? <laughs> I'm like, now, where do we go with that? Now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, what question? After hearing that little dialogue, what question would someone have Sarah? I know that's what I'm trying to, th I'm like, okay, I get it. But today, um, because just because it's something that I've kind of really studied and, and tried to understand for myself and my clients, it's like, you know, they're, eating this perfect diet, they're trying to do all the right things. But at some point you think, is there an, an intracellular water issue going on here that's causing things? So how would someone know if they had this sort of a thing, an, an issue going on within their body? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, well, number one, clinically, anyone who's been diagnosed with any condition by definition, has dysfunctional mitochondria, mm -hmm. meaning they're very likely not making adequate amounts of exclusion zone water or making adequate amount of water and also probably overproducing these reactive oxygen species. So driving up inflammation as well. Um, I also have found that there's a correlation between tissue stiffness and lack of exclusion zone water. Um, so I think this is why as we age, we know that there's an age-related natural decrease in mitochondrial health. Could it be, but there's also the, uh, this age-related increase in tissue stiffness. So picturing the suppleness of a baby that kind of just flops all around, has tons of exclusion zone water mm -hmm. versus someone who's in their late 80s, early 90s, and it feels very stiff. Um, and that has a direct uh, connection between the amount of exclusions on water they have in their bodies. 
And so um, there's other things too, because we can ask ourselves, well, what lifestyle factors would either yeah. cause mitochondrial dysfunction or deplete exclusions of water? So if a client checks a lot of these boxes, for me, it's another indication that we do need to support exclusions of water production and health and mitochondrial health in general. And that would be things like, um, do you have, or do you live in, or do you live or work in a high non-native EMF environment? Because that not only creates mitochondrial dysfunction, but it also drives up reactive oxygen inflammation, reactive oxygen species. Um, do you ever get outside and get your full body sun exposure? And if, if people don't, another indication to me that they're likely depleted in exclusions on water. Um, what about sleep? What does one's bedtime routine look like? What about exposure to sauna, sources of infrared? There's a lot of things that could dictate to me if someone has adequate mitochondrial health and adequate exclusions on water. Got it. So yeah, that's going to be the next question for people is the non-native EMF exposure. How is that a problem for our exclusion zone water? What does that have to do with anything? Yeah, that's a multifold question because number one, uh, Martin Paul, Dr. Paul um, did show, right? That when, when cells are exposed to non-native EMFs, they flood calcium inside of them. And one of the things that happens when calcium floods into the inside of the cell it forces the mitochondria to start to sequester that calcium. And so that's not a typical job that the mitochondria want to do. Mitochondria, that's like a backup, right? The endoplasmic reticulum is another organelle that's supposed to sequester the calcium for us. And when it can't, when it's overburdened, because we got calcium flooding in all the time, because calcium is, uh, is positively charged. It's a two plus, right? It's a positively charged ion. And so we want to have only, we want to have a net negative charge inside of the cell, which is why the cell is really particular about what ions it lets in versus what ions it has concentrated on the outside of the cell. And when that gets thrown off, the mitochondria have to sequester the calcium and the mitochondria can revert into something called a cell danger response, where it's almost like they're just trying to calm the chaos mm -hmm. and they can't have appropriate flow of electrons to create the water and the ATP. Then as that calcium continues to leak into the cell, it significantly increases the production of two really damaging inflammatory molecules, peroxynitrite and the hydroxyl radical, which are, an, are reactive oxygen and reactive nitrogen species that, again, are inflammation. That's, that's really, they can really damage a lot of what's happening inside of the cell. And again, it becomes a vicious cycle. Those, um, that those oxidative molecules are going to start to damage the mitochondria even more. The mitochondria are going to become more dysfunctional. They're going to try to continue to sequester the calcium. And at some point, all hell breaks loose and it just becomes this vicious cycle and a very dysfunctional cellular metabolism. Exactly. And then also, didn't Dr. Pollock have some research in his lab that basically showed like a 15 to 20% decrease in uh, exclusion zone water when exposed to Wi-Fi, right? Yeah, he absolutely did. But you want to know what's interesting, Sarah? Mm. And I don't know if he had to pull this because he, his, he his funding from his lab was getting removed, yeah. I think it was. But I can't find that study on search engines anymore. Oh, wow. And so I, I, screened, I screenshotted it. I think I still have those screenshots, but it was a very blatant 15 to 20% decrease in exclusion zone water due to Wi-Fi radiation. Um, and not only that, it was a very chaotic organization. Like the water wouldn't even organize itself coherently, which when or water organizes itself into certain geometric patterns, that's called coherent. And when it does it, that's chaotic. And that's again, not a good thing for the body either. 
so yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta see if I can do it again. And there's, there's several studies I've tried to find again, just throughout my, my career over the course, especially over the course of the past few years. That Couple, yeah, find really. <laughs> All of a sudden there's a lot of studies missing, especially when we're talking about these topics like Wi-Fi, 5G, non-native EMF, all that stuff. It seems like a lot more data just is not there. The studies well, are not there anymore. And so get this too. This is kind of a side topic, but um, in one of my previous Q&As today, one of the participants brought up the fact that um, a colleague, he's in our space, um, Dr. Vincent Esposito, he's a chiropractor, posted a video of a, a woman talking about research relating to sunlight and, and skin cancer and how she mm -hmm. said that that the research is really not conclusive at all. If anything, sunlight um, prevents cancer and Instagram labeled it as misinformation. Oh yeah, I believe that in a heartbeat. But I now totally we're starting to get to sunlight, right? We're starting, like yeah. it, COVID was one I thing. I had a post like that. Vaccine. Well, I had a post like that, like, I don't know, probably in October of last year where I was talking about the fact that there were not really a lot of studies available or any studies that I could even find that showed the sunlight was responsible for skin cancer, that it was all, and I said in the post, these studies were all done on narrow band UV lamps, right? Mm -hmm. And then I got a warning and was told that my account was at risk um, because I was posting misinformation. I got a big warning for that. And they were like, you need to delete this post or um, you're going to be at risk for having your account taken down this and the other. And I'm like, really? Cause I'm just stating something that's not really, it's verifiable. Like, because I, that day I posted, I had tons of people messaging me like, well, what about this study? I'm like, that's not a study that was done on the sun. Like, this, <laughs> you know, what about this study? I'm like, again, not one that was done on sunlight and humans. Well, like here's the thing, because it's really easy to look at a headline or even a right. conclusion. Like you look at the title of a, of a study. Right. UV light causes DNA mutations. Yeah, and then you die. The study done. Right. That's, I think that's an important topic because then you yeah. actually have to go into the methods. What yeah. source of UV light did they use? Typically nine times, 99 times out of a hundred mm -hmm. or a hundred times out of a hundred, frankly, it's going to be an artificial source of just a small bit of UV light. It's like right. what's called like a, a, an arc lamp is yeah. a typical one that they use. Um, and then typically it's done on mice right. who are nocturnal. Hairless mice are one of the most studied. <laughs> I don't want us to get censored here, but hairless mice and UV. Yeah, right. yeah. no shit, Sherlock. If I'm going to go ahead and shine intense UV light on a hairless mouse, it can cause some challenges and some issues. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. Like people don't. They just read the headline of the study. They don't actually read who was done on, how it was done, any of this stuff. And so, yeah. The, who funded it. Funded it. And, and you actually can read the whole entire study and you come up with the conclusion of what you've assimilated from reading it. And then the concluding sentence, sentence says, so as you can see, it's possible that sunlight can cause skin cancer. And you're like, you just proved the exact opposite. opposite. But somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because. Because the they don't want to get they don't want to get their funding pulled or they don't want to rock any boats or cause any issues. Right. And the thing that people don't realize is like I'm sitting out here and I'm not just getting UVB, I'm getting all the other spectrums, red infrared, like all all this stuff, infrared, which is like 42%. It's not just UV or UVB. It's, like it's exactly it. That's not how it works because these other 
spectrums that are available actually can offer some protection from like a natural protection from that strong UVB. And then if you've seen sun in sequential order, your body has this ability to kind of create a, create a, a protective mechanism of the hormonal cascade in your body as well, mm-hmm. so that your, your skin is more prepped to receive these. So they're doing these studies on hairless mice in a lab, probably there's probably some blue light overhead as well, you know, in a lab. Um, It just isn't a fair comparison. Now we always have to say, we're not telling anyone to go and just like fry forever, fry in the middle of the day in the sun. Cause that's the other thing. Whenever you talk about these like studies with the sun, people freak out and they're like, Oh, I have this blah, blah, blah problem. I'm like, no, you're missing what we're trying to say here. Yeah. You're, you're, you're missing the you're point. Missing the nuance. Yeah. Missing, yeah. There's a lot of, there is tons of nuance to this. Yeah. And it's this idea that we were designed in so many ways to receive the sunlight and use it for health purposes. Right. And it's our behavior and our, of how we've been applying sunlight or not applying sunlight. That's the issue. It's a human behavioral issue. It's not mm-hmm. that the sun is inherently evil to us by any means, but that's how it's being treated. Sun bad must avoid as opposed yeah. to wow how crazy that we've we've evolved such horrible lifestyles that have divorced us from our exposure to the light and blocked the signaling through the eyes with sunglasses and changed the signaling through the skin with sunscreen and changed the signaling through window glass by using uv filters and infrared filters it's it's our lifestyles that have changed our ability to interact with the sun in a healthy way it's not the sun's fault by any means Exactly. exactly. And going back to what you're talking about with sunlight and tying it into water, mm-hmm. that's what Dr. Pollock's lab showed was that a specific wavelength range of sunlight, which as you said, yes, near infrared A, which is a portion of infrared is 42%. 42% of sunlight always contains about a near infrared A wavelength, but actually 50% of sunlight. So half of the light that's coming at any given time contains not just the near infrared, but the full spectrum, mid infrared, far infrared, even further beyond in the infrared range. And it was this full spectrum of infrared, but specifically more towards the mid infrared that Dr. Pollock's lab showed increased exclusion zone water. It will legitimately, you could shine the source of infrared in onto the exclusion zone water and it, and it can be done in a lab. You have a surface that mimics a biological surface. You see this exclusion zone form. You see what's called the bulk water. That's not the exclusion zone water form. And you can show when you shine a source of infrared that this all of a sudden grows bigger, fourfold bigger. So what that tells me is that our modern indoor living also depletes us of infrared light exposure Mm -hmm. because modern window glass blocks it. Modern lighting doesn't have it. So we were designed to be in that, that infrared, uh, in those infrared wavelengths of light to maintain adequate exclusions on water inside of our bodies as well. And so it's another thing that I always ask my clients. I always say like, how much time do you get outside? What's Mm -hmm. your infrared exposure? And I have to sometimes coach, right? It could be sauna. It could be a red light therapy panel. It could be mm-hmm. movement that generates heat. It could be a hot bath or a hot shower. Right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of ways we can expose ourselves to infrared. Um, but if we're not getting them regularly, we can be very depleted of exclusions on water because that battery shrinks as we are indoors, creating more mitochondrial dysfunction. And we're never recharging that exclusion zone water with infrared light. 
Yep. And, you know, the more skin you could expose to sun when you're doing it in a safe way, Correct. the better. But for us to get the infrared light, do we have to be naked outdoors? Like, what's a practical way people can do this? Do they have to be in direct sunlight? Can they be in the shade? Like, how does that actually work? Yeah, I mean, I feel I do feel like there is ambient absorption because in, another word for infrared is heat. Yes. Now, not all infrared light is like that. Is, do we feel as heat? So, for example, if, if I shine a red light therapy panel on me uh, within the infrared spectrum, I'm not going to feel this big blast of heat mm-hmm. like I would feel from a sauna, right? Walking into a sauna. Right. And they both contain infrared. It's just different wavelength ranges. Um, and so, yeah, you can be on a hot summer day in Atlanta, right? You could be outside and you could be soaking up lots of infrared. Um, but I do feel like to get even bigger benefit of it, there is something to be said about direct, having some direct contact with your skin in the natural light full spectrum in order to soak it in deeper. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one way to do it. Right. But absolutely sit in the shade, right? Sit. If, yeah. you have, if you have any concerns whatsoever about the light being a health challenge, sit in the shade and you're still going to get a massive benefit. Awesome. Yeah. I just, I know people are going to ask that because people are still cautious about the sun. Sure. And I was too, frankly, right up until seven or eight, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. I was the sun, sunscreen and sunglasses. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, so I get it, but I also know how I felt back then when I was having very little sun exposure to how I feel now having a very good amount of sun exposure within my body's personal limits, which I'm right. very aware of, right? Because I've therapeutically slowly adapted my body mm-hmm. to more and more and more. And there's no way I would want to go back to what I was doing no, before. Same. I'm the same exact way. Just even a few years ago, I was like terrified to like get in the sun. And then I have like a free minute where your kid is taking a nap or you have a break. And I'm like, okay, get the lawn chair out. I'm in the sun, like as much as I can be in a knicky, like I'm just trying to get it all in. Yeah, exactly. Just sadly though, um, one of my community members sent me an article today and I thought this was satire. I don't know what magazine it was because I was like, please tell me that's satire. And he was like, no, but it's a magazine article that shows a person wearing under an umbrella with a with a hat with a ski mask on with sunglasses uh with like a a neck like a a collar like a scarf with full long gloves with a long sleeve shirt and the title is how to get absolutely no sun this summer what and then that the tagline underneath says none don't even think about it what right like that's where we're going with this wow Wow. I just, that's why like I, we need this dialogue open. We can't have censorship and things shut this down because we at least, because if it's, if it, if it starts to continue to go in that direction, human health is going to deteriorate way worse than it already is. Wow. That's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because there's number one, I mean, there's so many benefits to the sun like this in this episode. I mean, maybe we can go into some of the other ones in future episodes. Sure. Um, But in this episode, we're talking specifically about this body's ability to make its own water and having that correct amount of sun exposure 
is going to help with that process as well. It's a vital, vital part of your body's intracellular water is getting sun exposure on your skin to expand that water battery, right? And it goes, yes. And it goes beyond just expanding the water that's already there because those same wavelength ranges of light, then specifically the red now and near infrared, so another wavelength range of light that's always in, in the sun, coming from the sun, cloudy, foggy, sunny, is helps to helps the mitochondria become more efficient at making water at step four. Because a lot of what's happening these days, that, that let's say step four of that mitochondrial electron transport chain that makes water, it can get clogged or it can get bogged down. And one of the things that bogs it down is a molecule called nitric oxide. Um, nitric oxide is not good nor bad. It's situational. And when you've got excessive amounts of nitric oxide inside of the cell, it actually plugs up step four. So you can't actually flow electrons through to and oxygen through to make the water in the first place. And we know that exposure to red and the infrared wavelengths literally kicks nitric oxide out of step four to reestablish water production back again inside of the mitochondria. And so what could, what could cause excessive nitric oxide production? Non-native EMFs, um, intracellular toxins and infections can do that as well. Um, just living a typical modern indoor lifestyle, you're, we're likely to have a higher amount of, of that type of nitric, nitric oxide inside of the cell, which means we need the sunlight to simply reestablish water production in the mitochondria. And not only that, but we talked about the electron transport chain proteins spreading and we lose electrons and these lost electrons don't actually help to generate water or ATP. But there's another wavelength benefit of near infrared light. So near infrared light also produces melatonin inside of the mitochondria. And we make way more melatonin inside of our mitochondria throughout the day than the pineal melatonin that we make at night. And the purpose of the melatonin made in the mitochondria is to calm reactive oxygen species damage, to help keep these respiratory proteins ideally spaced for electron tunneling. And that happens when we're in the presence of near infrared wavelengths of light, which again are missing in our modern indoor environment. So it's, right. hard, it's hard to say sunlight is bad when you know all of these benefits that we get from regular exposure to it. Um, it I'm scared to, to think about what would happen for people if they don't ever get these wavelengths of light. And we've seen it time and time again in clients who have chronic diseases who are like, wait a second, I've been, I haven't gone outside I've been in decades. In bed. I've, yeah, right. I stay in the house. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, thing that I think people don't understand about melatonin is that pineal melatonin is only like 5% of the melatonin that our body yeah. makes. And so yeah. everyone, yes, we want to have the cold, dark room and we want to do all this stuff at night and we want to get UVA in the morning because that kind of helps with that pineal melatonin, right? But right. The, the sunlight we get on our skin, the light we get on our skin is the other 95%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's a beautiful system because melatonin isn't just a hormone that puts us to sleep. It acts as an antioxidant, a very master antioxidant. Yep. So when we hear antioxidants, we typically think greens, juices, and powders and mm -hmm. supplements. I think free electrons from the earth and yep. subcellular melatonin or the melatonin my mitochondria makes. Those are the key ways that we control inf we can control inflammation inside of our cells when we optimize those things. Yeah. And taking melatonin isn't going to be the same as what the mitochondria makes. You can't replicate that, right? 
Yeah, no, you're you're taking it you're taking it outside of a cycle, a cyclical pathway, cyclical production, and you're basically getting a big absorption in the in the bloodstream in the gut, yeah. right? It's not becoming that subcell. It's not that mitochondrial produced melatonin that's helping the mitochondrial electron transport chain dynamics. It's very much a different process. So, I'm not a not a fan. No, me neither. So back to easy water. So ways that we can increase our easy water production would be what we just talked about, sunlight on the skin, um, avoiding non-native EMF, kind of staying away from that as much as we can, avoiding wearable tracking devices. That's a huge one that can really, really bring down that intercellular water. Um, what else? I know there's a lot of other stuff. What else? Well, I, I mean, sauna therapy, a hot oh, yes. bath, a hot shower, any I mean, form of therapy, infrared. Right? Cold therapy is a whole other one that's kind of counterintuitive. But when we get into cold water, our mitochondria make infrared heat that can then help to facilitate the um, the whole exclusions on water or the melatonin production and the exclusions on water structuring inside of the mitochondria. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely another one. Um, that's I think I think. I honestly think infrared, the reason why it's been shown to be so beneficial, the reason why things like exercise has been shown to be beneficial, intercourse, um, cuddling, uh, having a dog on your lap or a cat Mm -hmm. on your lap, that in all of those things, we're actually either producing infrared or sharing infrared with someone else. And yeah, yeah, are there hormones and chemicals that get produced? Absolutely. But I think fundamentally, a lot of it has to do with the fact that those are things where we're sharing infrared and we're helping to reestablish our own or maybe each other's exclusions on water production or levels. Exactly. And then you mentioned movement, piezoelectricity, and movement um, makes and movement also makes heat, right? As we yeah. move metabolically, we have to our mitochondria have to work harder. And so as our mitochondria work harder, they naturally make more heat for us. And I know the question everyone's gonna have is how does the water that I drink actually play into this process? How important is it in the grand scheme of things? And then what kind of water should I drink? Well, if you were talking to Dr. Boros, he would say very little, right? Who yeah. is a- preeminent researcher when it comes to deuterium and mitochondria um he's he's a way bigger believer that the the water he coaches his mitochondria to make is way more important than what he drinks but that being said right everyone uh, people are gonna hate this everyone is unique i have to ask myself how much of a, how much is this client going through uh, fat burning or beta oxidation? Can they actually metabolize electrons found in fat and funnel them through the mitochondria? Because the fat is such an, a dense source of electrons that if you can burn fat efficiently, you can make a lot more intracellular water, a lot more ATP. Like you can four times the amount as opposed to if you burn glucose or if you're a sugar burner. So that's where I have to ask a couple of questions with a client, like, tell me about your meal spacing. What, what are things that you like to eat? Um, how stressed out are you? What's your type of exercise do you like to do? And if someone tells me they like to fuel their metabolism every two to three hours with granola bars and energy balls, and they like to do their training for a marathon, and they have a very stressful job, they are a sugar burner. <laughs> yes. And so there's someone who actually needs to drink really good quality water because guaranteed their mitochondria aren't making it. So drinking water for them 
and they and they work in a high non-EDVMF office environment, right? That's someone who I say, you need to drink a ton of good quality water to simply as we're supporting your mitochondria and becoming healthier producers of their own water themselves. Got it. And then when it comes to drinking water, everyone's going to ask, sure, you sure. know, the questions, the question, what type can of water, I drink should I drink? water, can I drink alkaline water, distilled water? What's the best water to drink? Okay. Yeah. I mean, great questions. And I really love, um, Jen Isabel friends answer for a couple yes. of days, right? She's another, she's a beautiful water lover on this yes. planet doing great work regards to water and step one. And, and I agree with all of her steps, but what I, what step one, you have, we have to drink clean water. And what she says is either you filter your water or you become the filter. And mm-hmm. these days we know that water contains so much, has the potential for so many toxins from heavy metals to fluoride, to chlorine, to endocrine disrupting pharmaceuticals. We really want to make sure we're filtering our water. So can RO, a reverse osmosis system, filter our water? Absolutely. Can distillation filter the water? Absolutely. Are there certain uh, gravity devices that can, can can filter the water pretty well, like Berkey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Step one, do the best you can with filtering your water. Um, and, you know, Sarah, for these videos, we should just link our your and my product recommendation, oh, yes. guys. Yeah, because absolutely. Because we definitely vetted, I've done... I vetted so many of the, so many things, right? My husband's like, what are you spending money? Um, so, so, and so I have all of my recommendations from which pictures I like to countertop systems to whole house. Um, and so get a filter. I do like to make sure that, and a lot of people will disagree with this, but I want my water to be remineralized. Yes. When minerals are in the water, minerals are but hydrophilic surfaces. They create their own little exclusion zones around them. And we're mineral rich bodies. I find the majority of people are not vitamin deficient. They're mineral deficient. Mm -hmm. Stress depletes minerals like nobody's business. So I like to have minerals added to my water. So I will use something like a Quinton mineral, or I have, I'll have clients make a Sole, which is basically it's S O L E. You can look that up, but it's basically a solution of, of water with as much salt, good quality salt as you can dissolve in it as is humanly possible. This I use gray Celtic sea salt. Um, and then you, so you would then add just a few drops. It doesn't, you don't have to make your water taste insanely salty, but you do want to make sure that you have added some minerals back into your water. And then I'm a big fan of anything that I can do to structure the water or energize it, which is a whole different topic, but things like the analemma wand, you can swirl, you can use intention. I use intention all the time, loving thoughts, gratitude for to help structure the water. You can simply swirling the water like this has been shown to increase the energetic qualities of the water. So you can, water likes to move, right? Water doesn't like to be stagnant. So there's vortexers and things like that, that I've tried that I, that I like. But if you simply, if you're at least filtering it out, remineralizing it, give it a little uh, happy thought and a swirl, I think you're doing a pretty good job. I think so too. Yeah, and then the devices to then and the, are you still using the Spring Aqua? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Same. Same here. That's that's the under the sink fil- uh, filter. That it does everything I just talked about in one, right? And it just yeah. all comes on the little tap. So yeah. that's the, that's the system that I'm currently drinking. Um, but I still do my little loving. I do too. I still <laughs> do intention. I'll still use the analemma wand mm-hmm. and start with intention. It's just like a routine I have, but yeah, absolutely. Water, water, water's responsive. 
Like, yeah. I mean, there's so many, if anyone wants to dive into Masaru Emoto's work or Veda mm-hmm. Austin's Veda work, water Austin. is responsive, right? Yeah. And so I want to make sure that the water I'm drinking has, doesn't feel, I don't know, traumatized, yeah. neglected, yeah. like I'm angry at it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I had someone reach out to me on Instagram and say, I love your content and it's so great, but you're really, really wrong about the ability to uh, influence, co- you know, your, your bulk water. Um, and I'm like, mm, actually not. <laughs> I beg to differ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can't, you, you can't, can't not, deny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's not just Veda and Masari Moto. Dean Radin is a huge researcher who's done a ton of work on intention and water energetics. Konstantin Karatkov, Vladimir Voikov, they're Russian researchers who've done this for decades, they dove deep into how things like intention and even like swirling your water and things can change the energetic qualities of the water. So like, yeah, I've seen it too many times over and over and over again to, to think that we're not influencing the bulk water with our thoughts and our intentions and our emotions. Exactly. Well, anything else you want to add to this water conversation, Carrie, at all? One last thing, Sarah, because we talked about putting loving thoughts and an intention mm-hmm. and gratitude into the water we drink. Yes. But I also think we have to have beautiful self-talk, maybe even our own little mantra, even if you don't, even if you don't truly believe it, because what we say in our thoughts and so, and sometimes what we say aloud at ourselves, oh, I hate my thighs. I hate that. Like mm-hmm. that can actually, it can change the structure of the water inside of us in, in a, not a good way. Right. Yep. So when in doubt, surround yourself with people and your own thoughts that are loving and express gratitude and bring joy, um, fear and hatred and anger are really, really destruct- destructive of the water networks of our bodies. So I can't underestimate how important that is. But again, we'll probably be called out for being woo as heck, but I can't underestimate how important that is. Yeah, I mean, I the the conversation I did with Veda Austin on my podcast is like two and a half hours long. We split it into two episodes. But that one, once you watch that and you kind of see what she's doing and, and the fact that she's repeating it with people, it's not just her doing it. It's being right. repeated all over the world and that ability to affect the water. You can't yeah. look at and knowing how much water is in your body. You can't look at your thoughts and the way that you speak and those emotions. You can't look at that stuff the same way again. And, you know, there's been Joe Dispenza and, <laughs> you know, Louise Hay and like all these people that really talk about this power of manifesting and how your words, they have so much weight and your intentions have so much weight. And I feel like it comes down to this aspect of the water inside of your body 100%. when we're looking at those types of things. Because when you say that to someone, and, and I used to think that's kind of like woo and it's stupid and like I was super <laughs> skeptical. Sure. Until I started putting these practices into my own life, seeing things actually happen. And I'm like, wait a second. I think that was that manifesting and that those intentions I've been putting out there. And then now kind of full circle, seeing this work around water and understanding how it works in your body. It's like, wow, this is all so much more connected than I think anybody really knows that's kind of not in this weird, nerdy quantum space that we're in. Right. Right. And it's why Sarah, it's why I've chosen to really distance myself from people who are negative and, and, and really, I mean, I've made a very conscious effort of distancing myself from 
social media that's around negativity from uh, from news sources that that are just pushing fear and negativity from even family members who yeah. you know we all have those family members who are kind of more towards the Debbie Downer side of things right it's just like okay like I have a limit and I know that I don't want to you know go over that because I, I understand the importance and I'm not saying that I'm rah rah life is great all the time I express my emotions as well but I do what I can to try to minimize my exposure yeah. to those sorts of things. Agreed. A hundred percent. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it. And um, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. 